0: From the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania and SiriusXM, this is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. The conversation you're about to hear was originally recorded on the Work and Life radio show on SiriusXM 111, business radio powered by Wharton. Here's your host, founding director of Wharton's work-life integration project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. What a thrill it is to invite you to listen to my conversation with David Thomas, who is the incoming president of Morehouse College, a traditionally African-American all-male college in Atlanta. He was previously the H. Naylor Fitzhugh Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School and Professor of Georgetown University's McDonough School of Business, where he was dean from 2011 to 2016. Way back in the day, at the start of his career as a professor, he was at the Wharton School and was my colleague then, and uh, that's when our friendship began, and it's one that I am very grateful for because David is not only a true scholar and a gentleman, but a great leader and a really good friend. His research, which is groundbreaking and the standard in his field, addresses executive development and cultural diversity in organizations and the larger issues of leadership and organizational change. In this episode, which took place, this conversation took place when he was dean at Georgetown, we talk about some of David's early experiences in his childhood and how he developed a consciousness of race as a five-year-old. We get into his strong and important ideas and beliefs about how diversity and inclusion remains an issue, a real problem in corporate America, specifically in leadership roles. There's only 10 CEOs in the Fortune 250 who are African-American. And more importantly, what can be done about it? Unconscious bias is the issue, one of the crucial issues that, that has to be addressed because it is a likely reason for the continuing lack of diversity in corporate America. And we talk about this in the second half of the show. So get set now to listen and learn from a true master of his field and a great leader in our business world and in our society, David Thomas. David, it is so good to welcome you to the show. Welcome to Work and Life.
1: Well, thank you, Stu. It's uh, great to be here uh, on, the, uh, on, the, on the phone with you uh, and to have this opportunity to, uh, to engage on this topic.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time to do it. Um, so, let me, let me get us started here by asking you, uh, just how you got into the subject of uh, diversity and inclusion in corporate America?
1: I, I got involved in this topic <clears throat> because I was interested in uh, three subjects that uh, kind of simultaneously when I was in graduate school. Um, I was interested in how organizations change. I was interested in uh, how people manage their careers. And I was interested in the, the, the influence of race uh, on people's identities and their opportunities in organizations. And my initial study was on the uh, dynamics of mentoring, Uh, in a large corporation, uh, and I looked at same race and cross-race and same-gender and cross-gender relationships, Mm -hmm. and that was the start of it. And this was in the context of an organization that was really trying to change its culture uh, in terms of having it become more inclusive, and this was back in in the early 80s. Uh, and this company was far ahead of, the, of their peers, and mm-hmm. so that's how I got interested in it and uh, have remained uh, passionate about it as an important topic for organizations and for leaders and for society um, going on 30 years now.
0: Can I ask you to just say a bit more about like, what your own early life and history, you know, how, it, how you were shaped by the dynamics of race and mentoring relationships and how that led you to, you know, sure. to, to pursue um, these important questions?
1: Sure. Well, uh, I grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, mm-hmm. uh, um, it, born in the 1950s, um, and that was a very segregated time. Um, and if you ask me about the first influence of of race on my thinking, um, when I was five, I remember I around five early on, I, I told my father I wanted to be president. Really? And uh, he said, great. And uh, <laughs> not long after that, I told my father I was going to be the first black president.
0: Ah, so Barack beat you.
1: Because Barack beat me. Uh, but well, Even
0: though he's way younger out? than you.
1: Well, what was interesting about what I find telling about that is I start out, I'm just going to be the president. And somewhere I realized I would be a black president and there hadn't been one. So I've got racial identity now. And the
0: next step... I want wait, wait, to... wait. So let me just jump in here. So, so that was not like your first thought. The first thought was I want to be president, not I want to be the first black president. Do I have that right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. First
1: thought, I want to be president. Second thought... I'm going, to be the first, I'm going to be the first black president. Hmm. Now it's raced. My next conversation with him, I remember this vividly, was I'm going to be a lawyer because by that point in time, and I wasn't yet eight years old, I had figured out unconsciously <laughs> that a black man could not be president of this country. Now, sad to say— Wait, wait. So how did
0: that lead you to wanting to be a lawyer?
1: Well, what was the next best position of leadership? Oh, I see. So your your expectation was dashed. Was, the other thing was, as a kid who was fixated by television with the civil rights movement, mm-hmm. I saw two professionals, preachers and lawyers.
0: Hmm. So this- one
1: went to jail. One got him out of jail. <laughs> oh my god! And so I said, "Okay, I want to change the world. I'll be a lawyer.
0: You can liberate people that way."
1: You can liberate people that way, mm-hmm. and uh, and you know a theme in my life and my work has been the theme of uh, trying to in some way create change uh, to make the world a better place.
0: And you uh, have. And
1: that's how I found my way into organizational behavior.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Say uh, say more about how you found your way there, and then I want to ask you about uh, about your your master work. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Breaking through. Uh,
1: yeah. Uh, you mean how I found my way into uh, organizational yeah. behavior? Yeah. Um, I uh, went, to, uh, went to college. I was very involved as a sort of student leader, student organizer, uh, in particular around issues that had to do with um, black identity uh, and the black community. And and uh, that was
0: at Yale, right?
1: That was at Yale, and the South African uh, uh, movement around South Africa that was starting then in the nineteen seventies. Mm-hmm. And I stumbled upon these courses that were organizational behavior courses, and they seemed so relevant to hmm. what I was trying to do in my student leadership work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I became. Uh, I started to realize that these were concepts and tools that if used for the right purposes Mm -hmm. could change the world and I wanted to contribute to that and I started to think that if I became a lawyer there'd be lots of lawyers but there'd be very few people um, with the kind of knowledge uh, that would come from the study of organizations and individuals in organizations that could actually make organizations a better place. Mm -hmm. And and that's what what grabbed me and brought me back to graduate school first at Columbia and then back to Yale. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I know I'm among many who are very grateful for your having made that decision. Uh, So you've you've seen a lot now uh, over the few decades that you've been at this issue. Uh, Let me ask you a really high-level question here, uh, and that is, What has changed and what has not?
1: Okay. Um, What has changed is that um, the gates of opportunity have opened up in a way that no child, I think, can say that any opportunity or, or any aspiration in America today is impossible in the way that you know at some point as a little kid i came mm-hmm. to the conclusion that it was impossible for me to be president mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh so so that's the positive side
0: mm-hmm. because that has uh, proved that, that has proved to be untrue hasn't it? well <laughs> it's it's, it's which piece of it is? I'm sorry. That, the fact that a uh, uh, you know uh, a black person cannot be president. We we've proven that that is no longer right. true.
1: Yeah, yeah. We've proven <clears throat> that that's true, and we've proven that a black person can be a CEO, mm-hmm. uh, a senator, uh, a CFO, a member of a major corporate board, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But still, when we look at the fact that um, of the Fortune 250 there are only five black ceos um when we look at the fact that uh the numbers of uh african americans on uh boards of directors in those companies has actually declined a bit Uh really uh, or you could say that it's that it's been stagnant for a decade hmm. uh that the percentages of Um, African Americans on campuses um, have essentially remained the percentages have essentially remained about the same for two decades Mm -hmm. Um, you know there's a sense that opportunity is not expanding and you also find that um, that lack of representation is also connected still with you know things like stereotypes that people operate off of. And there's a great body of work that's become influential about Mm -hmm. unconscious bias, Mm -hmm. which I think is much more the explanation for some of the inequality that we continue to see in companies than is uh, intentional discrimination. Unconscious bias is essentially automatic reactions that we have to particular People or demographic groups that are out of our awareness, mm-hmm. uh, and that don't necessarily represent what our intentions are. Mm. So, an example, you know, one of the one of the major findings from the research on this is that people are more likely to associate women to family. And men to career, mm-hmm. I, And and or I should say they are more quickly to associate women with family and men to career. Now, think about what happens in the workplace when a bot, when a when a when a when a manager walks in and has to send one of his subordinates on uh, an assignment that might inconvenience them because it's geographically located away from the home. Uh, uh, base or place for the individual. You're likely to walk in and because you quickly, and, and you've got two subordinates, each one of whom has recently had a baby. Mm-hmm. You're likely to walk over to the male and say, you're going to take this assignment. It's going to require you to be, you know, on the road for the next two weeks, uh, and not offer that same assignment to that female, because somewhere you've, dis- you've unconsciously concluded that the male will be more open to that and more available to it than the woman, and that mm-hmm. family will be more important to her. And it's, now now it's, fast forward two years later, and we're looking at two people who are otherwise equal, but there's some assignments that if you have those assignments, they're gateway assignments to the next level.
0: Right, and she's uh, lost out, and th- and that's she's
1: lost out, and 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 he's got it, mm-hmm. and it emerged out of this process where she wasn't even given a choice,
0: and the and the manager in this case wasn't even intending to discriminate. That's and that's the, the, the problem, did, right?
1: Exactly, didn't so, intend to discriminate.
0: So so what are what are we doing now, and and indeed, what are you doing uh, at Georgetown, and and also in your research and practice to help deal with this problem, uh, with respect to not just gender stereotypes, but also with respect to race?
1: Well, we've we're, um, been doing a few things. Um, one, what we know is that because these, the expression of these biases is not intentional, mm-hmm. if people can slow down, they can actually interrupt the bias. Mm-hmm. So if I become conscious of the potential for bias to influence me, I might do something like walk in, describe to both people the opportunity, assess their willingness to take the opportunity, and then I've only got one opportunity. Uh, but so I so I so I'll then have to make a choice. But I made it much more conscious and mm-hmm. probably much more in a way that much more reflects what the task is. Mm-hmm. So that to the extent I choose one over the other, I choose for a set of reasons that are, that are likely to be more task-based mm-hmm. than they are based on some unconscious
0: set of assumptions. Mm-hmm. So it requires a kind of mindful approach, which is
1: that, that, that's not easy. That's a good way to describe it, Stu. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that can happen that we can work with leaders and managers on is becoming mindful um, in this regard, but it also starts with them taking responsibility for the fact that they are not immune to bias. And that's one of the big problems I Hmm. find in organizations today. What's that? Um, Companies are looking at their diversity profile. They're not satisfied with it, but they're unwilling to accept that it's not by accident that they may be susceptible to some kind of bias. Mm. Uh, well, that's
0: very jarring for anyone. To, it's, you know, it's a dissonant idea that most, most people would say, hey, I'm not racist. Uh, that's exactly right. I'm not sexist. Well, how, how, why are you blaming me? That's exactly right. So how do you address that? And, and indeed, you know, is, are there ways well, that you're approaching that in the curriculum or other ways that you're trying to lead the culture well, for change thing- in your school?
1: Sure. Yeah. One of the things that we found to be a terrific tool is um, that there's, there's actually some self-administered um, tests that people can take hmm. to assess whether or not they possess uh, unconscious biases on a host of dimensions. Um, and if anyone is interested, they can go to the Harvard site. Uh, on implicit bias, and you can just Google it. Harvard okay. implicit, um, and uh, and you can take you can take the test, and they do it not just on race or gender, but there are tests around skin color, uh, gay straight, young old. Uh, there are also a set of tests around uh, religion. Mm-hmm. uh and and religion differences and you can see um you know what your where your own susceptibility lies and we've had some um real success uh working with both students and companies using that self-administered instrument mm-hmm. which then opens up executives and students to the fact that they're not immune mm-hmm. but that they're also not uh you know uh, uh, destined hmm. to to uh perpetuate the biases you know in to to act on those biases that mm-hmm. uh they possess and the reality is that on some dimension uh all of us uh have biases that have been socialized into us
0: mm-hmm. um and that's really the crucial insight, isn't it? To to recognize that we, you know we're all products of our culture, and our 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 you know local familial heritage, and that has shaped our identities and how we view the world. And to to evolve, we've really got to uh, to kind of address those. So so what you know we, we've only got a few minutes left here, uh, David. I'm sorry to say, but um, you know what do you think is the most important? Uh, directive that, you know, or, or direction that you'd like to see our business schools going, our companies going to move forward and and to progress to, to be a more inclusive and fair society?
1: So, um, uh, I think a couple of things. One, I think work that um, incre- increases the likelihood that people will take responsibility for the fact that they may wittingly or unwittingly Exhibit bias mm-hmm. two, I think it's very important for leaders to take responsibility for uh, creating diverse and inclusive workforces and um, and then sharing that part of the agenda with the leadership team uh, and I think the last thing is being willing to change processes in the organization that um, Create either privilege, unearned privilege, or uh, um, hindrances for groups of people. Uh, and, you know, we were working with a finance company that used credit scores to uh, select employees. Hmm once they use the credit score, once the person is hired, they never look at it again. You can work there 40 years. Well, one of the things we know is that because of the differences in wealth, mm-hmm. uh, uh, people of color are likely often to have worse credit sp- mm-hmm. scores, especially when they're earlier uh, uh, in trying to get themselves established.
0: Because so, that they, the so that perpetuates the inequality.
1: So that perpetuates the inequality. And in this particular company, they were willing to uh, do away with using that criteria because they realized they had other criteria that are mu- that were much more related to the work. Uh, but they did an experiment a few years later uh, and discovered that, A, there was no relationship between credit scores sure. and performance, mm-hmm. uh, and that many people's credit scores actually went up in that time period mm-hmm. because... They did have stable
0: employment. Mm-hmm. So so attacking unconscious bias at the individual level, recognizing as a leader that you've got to be the chief diversity officer uh, of your organization, your group, and and really identifying those practices that perpetuate structural uh, uh, discrimination with, without even anybody knowing about it. You know, this this requires a lot of effort. Are you hopeful? This is where we have to wrap up, I'm afraid. Yep. Well, uh, so
1: what here i'm i'm I, I would just leave with three observations um, I'm hopeful uh that uh because um I see many companies that are reinvigorating and reinvesting in their vision of the kind of company they want to be with regard to diversity and inclusion um, where I'm most concerned is that um i I I don't see consciousness around this dimension of organizational life in small and medium sized companies, and in particular tech companies, which is where a lot of the growth for our economy lies in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, already there's been a study of Silicon Valley uh, that shows that African-American and Latino representation is woefully lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen that. And even, you know, some focus on the fact that there's a lumpiness to the presence of women in that mm-hmm. industry. Some mm-hmm. companies do better than others, but they're not as well represented uh, uh, as one might think, given their numbers in the education.
0: So there's much to be done. David, I'm going to have okay. to cut us here. Uh, we are out of time. I'm sorry to say I want to thank you so much for spending time here. I, I hope that you'll come back to pursue further these important ideas of how we can create positive change in our society. You personally, professionally have done so much to to make that happen, and uh, I'm certainly grateful to you for that. Thank you so much for joining me today. Okay,
1: and thank you for the opportunity, Stu. Really appreciate it. Love to come back.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with David Thomas. And now I want to offer you an invitation, a challenge, for you to Take up what David and I were just talking about, and that is the idea of developing a bit more mindfulness in yourself to recognize bias in your own perceptions and decision-making. This is not an easy thing to do, and every one of us can benefit from just a little investment in exploring how we think, because how we think determines how we act. What we see, what we choose to perceive, and how we interpret it influences our attitudes and our actions towards other people. So here's an opportunity for you to raise your consciousness and to become more aware of how you think with respect to the matter of race and people who are of different races than you. So what I'd like to recommend or ask you to consider doing this next week is to record what you think about when you see either in person or on some screen, anywhere? A person who is of a different race than you. What are your thoughts? Let's just start with that as a small step toward becoming more mindful and helping you to become perhaps more immune to unconscious bias by raising into conscious awareness how you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts about what you discover if you do take up this challenge, this invitation, um, and how it might make a dent in your own thinking and actions and decision-making about diversity in your world. You can write to me, friedman at edu, or on Twitter at Stu Friedman. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by tweeting at Stu Friedman. And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me.